Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Paul Ford from Orchestra Rx. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Paul, here's the game plan. What we seek to do here on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. So in other words, we we try and debunk some of the nonsense we're being sold by the healthcare industry and give our audience some meaningful tips um, to actually get better results. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of core to our mission is doing a lot of myth busting around right. pharmacy and benefit management. So yeah, let's go for it. Okay. I think I think there'll be some good opportunity to do some myth busting today. Um, so so to get us started, um, you know, um, I want to give the the audience a little bit of context about who they're listening to. Um, so how about we start with a little bit of background about Paul Ford? How did you get into, you know, healthcare and, and the health insurance industry and, and what, what made you decide to start a new PBM? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wish it was something as glorious as like an NFL or NBA draft lottery pick. And I was number one, um, but, but no, I think most, most people kind of end up in insurance, um, through through some misadventures, we'll call it. Um, and my story is no different. Um, I actually came out of banking, so out of college, um, went into banking, um, so corporate and commercial credit lines for fortune companies. Um, it was just too, it was too boring. Um, um, granted, I was talking to some, some high-powered CFOs and helping them launch new uh, you know, fashion lines or whatever, and extending credit and capital to them. Um, but it was just too, too black and white, not enough intrigue for, for myself. So I went into um, healthcare or health insurance. And a buddy of mine, I had noticed that Aetna was hiring uh, for some financial underwriters. So I had some connections there um, um, and got in, had some great you know, uh, conversations with them. They brought me in. And I knew really nothing about uh, health insurance other than I pay a $20 copay. Um, and that was it, right? So uh, yep. I raised up as a Kaiser kid. Um, but yeah, um, shortly thereafter, just had a blast. Um, in part because healthcare is so broken, uh, I just saw tons of opportunities um, and um, developed some great relationships within the organization that catalyzed me forward in a, a variety of roles. Um, and then uh, kind of propelled me to seek something else, which was client consulting. Uh, so I did that at, at one of the, the large firms um, here in the U.S. Um, and there, that's where I kind of got my chops developed around uh, things like data analytics and value-based programming and um, transparent uh, PBM models and, and really creating more value in that whole supply chain of benefit delivery. Um, uh, and then shortly thereafter, some of that work got noticed by a company called Safeway, the grocery store, um, and they were re-engineering healthcare. Um, as they saw it, um, but it led to some really transformational pioneering um, strategies and solutions on making that happen and reversing trends. Uh, and uh, got to know that organization uh, quite well. And they brought me in to help uh, grow and scale and uh, manage client activity and partnerships um, amongst a variety of other things, including some product development as well. So this constant evolution of um, health insurance consumerism, uh, data analytics, 
and then squeezing more value uh, through that little narrow tube uh, to, to the clients that, that we serve today. Uh, so that kind of you know led me to the point that I'm at today where I was doing quite a bit of work in pharmacy um, and one client in particular uh, where I was doing some advisory work through my advisory firm mm-hmm. um, basically said, hey, well, why aren't you a pharmacy solution PBM company? Um, you've been able to help us squeeze out 28% savings in the first year. Uh, why can't someone get this off the shelf whenever they want? Uh, and so that was kind of the genesis and origin of Orchestra RX and, and why we got started uh, was so that you know employers and health plans could have a, uh, a go-to partner uh, to help them transform their pharmacy benefits and create savings and better engagement and consumerism. Love it, love it, and uh, and certainly, you know, that's a big savings number, and we'll we'll get into more about uh, you know how how an employer might achieve that. But let's um, let's get started with with this conversation at the macro level, and we'll circle back to Orchestra RX. You know, prescription drug pricing um, and, and how we pay for it through insurance is you know probably one of the most misunderstood and and in my opinion, corrupt components of the healthcare cost equation. Drug pricing is a major profit center for insured carriers and PBMs. And, you know, you can see that in the fact that the PBM industry generates over $300 billion in revenue annually. And a lot of that, uh, a lot of the cost is just not transparent to the employer. So in your opinion, what do you think is wrong with healthcare in general today, as well as the prescription drug component of healthcare? I think that the largest challenge at a very macro level around healthcare, or even if you want to you know, subcategorize it as health insurance, is it's just large, right? Anything that's that large that touches anyone that's breathing, um, you're bound to find complexities and challenges uh, in, a, in and of itself, but let alone if there's a competitive landscape. Uh, so uh, just the largeness is kind of what um, leads to some awful opportunities, but challenges for employers and health plans. What I mean by that is um, because it's so large, you can't, you can't create micro solutions at every given turn for everyone and every kind of health demographic or cohort. Um, so healthcare tends to be a one-size-fits-all approach. And I'd say arguably within the last, we'll call it seven years, uh, and the advances of technology uh, and how people are using web applications and mobile, uh, now you can get your hands on data and refine and uh, either you know um, create more personalized or niche nuanced solutions that now starts to target in a very meaningful way, um, you know, uh, consumers and enterprises with varying needs. Uh, so I think that's one of the, the, the largest challenges. And especially for companies, they may try to do too much and serve too many people at once. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Um, you try to serve, you know, a, a niche, you can kind of, you can win, kind of get some domain mastery in that. Uh, but then even within pharmacy benefit management uh, of itself, this is the way I love analogies. Uh, I'll give you this example. All businesses have to make money in order to to survive um, Mm -hmm. and employ people and keep the economy going. Um, But there might be a problem if you happen to go to, let's say, um, your favorite restaurant, shopping mall, and you do valet parking. And the guy that you're giving your keys to uh, is dressed in a $5,000 suit, has a, you know, a Rolex on, and he's just decked out, right? <laughs> and, you know, gold or diamond rings on. You'd be like, wait a second, how is he, how is he living that way, but he's doing this? What's in the middle, right? And that's where those thoughts of, you know, quote unquote corruption would come into play where you're like, he's either, you know, taking the cars to a chop shop and bringing back something else, or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, so, you know, making money is not necessarily bad, but um, it has to be in context. 
So I think that's where, you know, a lot of employers today and consultants and, you know, um, uh, stakeholders, they're looking at the equation of PDM specifically and saying, oh, uh, drugs cost a lot of money. The drug companies are all billion dollar companies, you know, anecdotally. Um, and we're fighting off rising costs. Don't they have enough money? And then, you know, the middleman in between is a PBM facilitating benefits and access to lives. And, you know, why are they also making a ton of money, right? There's a lot of stops in between, uh, you know, the drug manufacturer uh, and the consumer, a lot of stops, right? So pharmacists and uh, uh, pharmacy benefit managers and uh, wholesalers. And at every given turn, there seems to be someone that has to, quote unquote, earn a living. Uh, how much of a living they're earning, I think that's what is going to continuously get called into play. Uh, and that's what, kind what? of where we've been. Building. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think that, I mean, this is the, the United States of America where entrepreneurism right. and, and is alive and well and, and uh, you know, making a profit should never be villainized. Um, but right. I think, you know, I think that's, that's all true when there's a competitive landscape. And I would, right. I would argue that, you know, we don't necessarily have a competitive landscape in healthcare because there's no transparency, there's no connection to cost. And all of the cost actually... Um, you know, is is hidden behind the veil of insurance, and and it's right. not really transparent to payers and and consumers. And so it's it's um, it's it's really a, a structure that enables um, you know enables healthcare costs to naturally rise because of of the uh, I'll call it an anti competitive you know landscape. Sure, um, but um, no, I agree. There's 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 a lot of people in the middle. Um, it's not transparent, and uh, I, I think, but that presents an opportunity uh, for you know innovative thinkers to you know deconstruct it and you know advise people on on how to do things more efficiently. And so that's probably a, a, a good transition into um, talking a little bit more about your company, uh, Orchestra RX. You're a pharmacy benefit manager or administrator. I know that you know some people uh, prefer to be called administrators these days. And you're you're one of many new PBMs in the marketplace. So tell us a little bit about what makes Orchestra RX different, and and what problem your model is specifically attempting to solve. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I get I kind of chuckle when you say you know you know PBMs versus a, a pharmacy benefit administrator. Typically, everyone's trying to duck and dodge out of the way of you know, the daggers and arrows in the backs of PBMs today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what we're out to accomplish, and this will give you some context and the listeners some context. Uh, we had to do something that was very different, right? It wasn't just let's be like and then name your uh, PBM and try to emulate them or or, or take the contrarian view of what they do. Uh, it's more of hey, let's take the concept of a PBM and put some dynamite in it and blow it up, and then have some you know some people reconstruct it. What would that look like? Uh, so. Um, we're actually trademarked as the consumer-driven pharmacy benefit manager. And one thing that we found is not only is PBM a very gray, ambiguous, amorphous term, uh, pharmacy benefit manager, that could mean a lot of different things. Uh, and we took liberties with that to say, well, let's, let's create solutions. Let's be more of a pharmacy benefit solutions company. Uh, and then that's where we start seeing uh, wins on the board, receptivity from the market, um, because it wasn't anything that could quite be compared to name your big PBM of choice that you do business with today. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where we, we, we started winning. And it was kind of doubling and tripling down on the concept of consumerism as it lives and breathes within the context of healthcare and insurance. More consumerism is needed regardless if it's an IRS qualified plan or not. And another way to translate that is consumerism is, you know, accountability, um, care versus stick. Uh, having people shop through healthcare decisions and choices more like a quote unquote Amazon than, you know, uh, insurance of the past where it's just this mystery of high cost and you pick the lesser of all evils. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we've been uh, super dedicated on is saying, well, hey, let's look at pharmacy benefit management through the lens of consumer driven themes. Um, so um, that's what we do today. Uh, we have everything from a uh, just to get more context, uh, a full service, we'll call it PBM stack. So, you know, a replacement to name your PBM um, that's transparent, streamlined costs, rebates that go all the way back through to the client. Uh, we take no rebate dollars. Um, but then we also retrofit the program with um, some really innovative um, network solutions, engagement solutions, condition management, and some tool sets that makes it more shoppable. Um, so that's kind of where we, we, we've cut our teeth, uh, had some great wins and experiences providing something different to the market. You know, you, you just mentioned that, you know, you guys are transparent. You know, explain to our audience, you know, what that means in the context of the current, you know, PBM industry and landscape. That's interesting. Um, so if I had to, if I had to, you know, draw it out or put it on some kind of spectrum, on one end of the spectrum, you have, you know, name your PBM today, uh, who, who might be called or classified as traditional PBMs. Traditional in the sense that their whole business model is, is based on um, them taking lives, so signing up employers and health plans, aggregating those lives and all those consumer uh, transactions and using that as a lever with manufacturers, drug manufacturers to say, hey, we have X millions of lives uh, that we could potentially funnel and steer towards you. Uh, what kind of deal will you give us, right? And that might mean uh, uh, rebates, incentives, marketing dollars, uh, just better pricing flat out. Uh, and what they do is they'll take that opportunity to basically say, okay, we're going to provide this service to our employer and plan. That service is us administering the benefits, the plan designs, answering phones, uh, doing clinical evaluations on drugs to make sure outcomes are optimized. That service that's provided is delivered to the to the client. Uh, what's done in the middle, which makes them now traditional versus what I'll share in a second, a transparent PBM, uh, they'll take those fantastic deals that they get from pharma and pharmacy chain to provide reimbursement schedules, uh, and they'll create a markup on those prices that become margin to their companies, right? It's their way to uh, create revenue um, from you know, organizing and administering benefits in the realm of pharmacy. Um, the issue there that's being called into light is how much are they marking up the cost at a pharmacy, right? How much in rebates are they getting from big pharma that they are not sharing at all uh, with uh, employer groups and plans to help defray or lower the costs overall. Uh, and when you look at name your uh, consulting house uh, or actuarial firms, trend reports, trend surveys on pharmacy costs or medical costs, it's a continual rise as far back as you could probably look overall yeah. in those costs, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so that, that's just a bit of the, the issue there on the tra- traditional side and what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had to explain what tr- transparent was, 
it is almost a contrarian view, right? And then you have something in the middle. Uh, the, the, the purest, we'll call it transparent vendors would say, hey, we're not marking up any pharmacy reimbursement schedule. You can audit it, right? So if you wanted to, you could take a look at our pharmacy reimbursement contract and say, wow, yeah, that's what I'm paying on my invoice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look at the rebate contract from Big Pharma and whatever those rebates are assigned to, to each and every drug, uh, you're able to kind of take a look at that and say, okay, great. Uh, that's what Big Pharma is giving you. I'm getting it as well, right? Uh, some might have a, a rebate administration fee for organizing and, and providing that service um, uh, instead of the traditional model, which is retaining all or most of it uh, as part of their business and profit center. Um, that's kind of at its core. And then the, also the transparent um, PBMs that are out there, they also just you know are very clear about how they make money. So it's typically off of just an admin fee. Um, it can be an admin fee just like you pay a TPA or an ASO arrangement uh, administration fee. Very similar uh, construct where it's a known quantifiable amount you're paying every month. Uh, the rest is just kind of, if you will, cash flow based on utilization of uh, prescription drugs and where they may be, uh, the members may be picking those drugs up at. Uh, so that's kind of the, on that spectrum, that's the two ends. And in the middle, you'll see a cast of, of many that might be more traditional, but elements of transparency or uh, or transparent with elements of being traditional. Um, so that's kind of the, the lay of the land. Got it. And and so if I'm an employer thinking about this, right, you know, I'm, I may be presented with a traditional offer and maybe I'm presented with a, a transparent um, offer or maybe something in the middle. You know, if I'm an employer who's concerned about lowering my prescription drug costs, why would one be better than the other? Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic question. Um, and here's how I'll answer it. And it leaves room for everyone, right? Um, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm not out to vilify anyone. So this kind of gives opening for everyone. Uh, the math is actually way simpler than one might think. So I know a lot of people can get caught in, how do you calculate an AWP minus discount? Um, and <laughs> right. talk through the minimum, the maximum, the guarantee, right? That's a lot of calculations and what ifs. And then there's drugs excluded from formularies and some that don't count towards rebate guarantees. But there's so many calculations that go into that when uh, the, the win for uh, a plan sponsor, employer group, health plan is actually if you sum it all up and say, if I have to pay for admin fees or not, uh, the rebates I get back or not, the claims that get processed, um, just roll all those up. That's one bucket. That's their total annual cost and spend, estimated spend. Mm-hmm. That's the number you compare against whoever you're thinking about doing business with. And that's and I'll call that tier one. Tier mm-hmm. two would be taking a look at the contract. So uh, people are getting very savvy now and uh, been a part of many uh, educational summits, uh, webinars, and things like this to educate people. When you take a look at the contract, um, there's there's no doubt there's a reason why a PBM contract is either very, very simple, in other words, a page or two or more, uh, or very, very complex, right? So we're talking double-digit page numbers, uh, the devil's in the details, so to speak. Uh, and what that means is when you look at your contract that you have today, if you take a look at something as simple as the definition of a generic and brand drug, mm-hmm. um, you'll find more oftentimes than not, probably going to be around 80% of the time, 90% of the time, the definition of a brand will sound similar to what I'm about to say. Um, the definition of a brand drug is a proprietary definition built on an algorithm of our company. <laughs> so in so, other words, we can call it whatever we want to call it. 
And then the same goes for the generic, right? So good luck when you're trying to audit and you're trying to figure out why your um, generic or brand drug uh, spin has gone through the roof or not, uh, because you really can't understand what's a brand and generic because they can call it whatever they want. It's called brand uh, drug reclassification. The best contracts out there will, will have language that says, addresses brand or drug reclassification and say, we will not reclassify a drug, meaning call a generic a brand or a brand a generic. Uh, and those generic and brand definitions might be tied to something like Medispan or First Data Bank, a universally accepted third-party uh, you know, pricing index, almost like the stock market. Right. So if you tried to buy some stock from me and a company uh, of your choice, and you say, well, how do I know what the price is? I say, well, I'll, I'll tell you what the price is based on my proprietary blend of what I think the pricing is. Obviously, there's some gains to be had. Um, so when you take that summation of all-in, admin costs, what you get back in rebates, what you have to pay in claims, um, and that might be characterized as a claim repricing for those that want to do yeah. that. Yeah. And then you yeah. bump that against contract language that says, hey, I know what the definition of all these things are in the contract. And there's language that says I can audit um, the cost and the rebates and the reimbursement schedules and the utilization. Um, that's that's a winning combination. And the auditing piece is very, very important because, again, you'll find that 80 to 90 percent of contract language, um, the auditability clause will say something like you have the ability, you know, maybe one time a year to perform an audit with 90 days notice, heads up. Um, and uh, we will hand select a sample of claims that you can review. So in other words, you have to give us a warning about the audit so we can clean things up. And we're going to go pick maybe 15 claims that we'll deliver to you after we've cleaned it up. And we might put some errors in there just so you can find something and throw you off our scent. And I hate to do that, you know, direct or blunt, but more or less that's what's happening in the legalese. Um, okay. So so just just to to go back to kind of the initial question of why an employer, you know, would, would who, uh, an employer who's concerned about cost and not all employers are, some employers are going to be right. more concerned about disruption. Um, right. But for the employers who's concerned about cost, you know, would it be fair to say that, you know, the, the incentives in a traditional contract um, that is a hundred pages um, and that traditional pricing model is probably very different than the incentive um, in the transparent contract with an admin fee and a 10-page contract. Yeah, absolutely. And it all comes down to one thing. If a transparent company is saying, pay us an admin fee, that's how we make our money. Well, then they're relying on you doing business with them um, year after year after year. So they're going to create more programs, more ways to watch your back, more ways to be aligned with you and your interests, um, because that's their, you know, quote unquote, sole source of revenue. Uh, whereas another organization that's traditional in nature, they might make money from uh, admin fees, rebates, um, selling uh, data, uh, owning their own pharmacies. That's another biggie that people tend to overlook. So PBMs that own their own pharmacy chains or independent pharmacies or specialty pharmacies or mail order, that's a pharmacy. Uh, and they're you know, self-directing business to it uh, with another opportunity to earn money because they have their own revenue or uh, P&L that they have to manage towards. Yep. So the, the, the interest and then the alignment on both sides, you might find one that works better for you if you're all about costs. 
fantastic. You might actually find a traditional PBM who might even guarantee you certain cost threshold for a year or two or three. Maybe that helps you achieve your budgetary goals. That's fantastic. You might have others that aren't able to negotiate that kind of leverage and then looking at the cost and going, I don't feel comfortable. There's no guarantee that this is going to play out this way. That's where they might find more alignment with a transparent company that says, here's what we'll do for you. Here's the cost. Uh, and we'll just you know, work with you to, with full visibility on where things are heading uh, relative to cost. Let's dive into to the cost factor a little bit more. You guys are a relatively new PBM having launched in 2015. Conventional wisdom, which truth be told, we don't really endorse here would have us believe that a small PBM can't negotiate competitive pricing like a larger PBM. So, so tell me, is, is that true? How would a smaller PBM like Orchestra RX or some of the other you know, emerging PBMs out there, how would they be able to provide greater savings for an employer than say a, large, a larger PBM with more volume? Yeah, I, I'm gonna start off with an, an analogy probably because it makes the most sense. And um, for those that have, you know, maybe seen some of what we do, we have this infamous slide. Um, happy to share it uh, with you guys. It's a slide that basically shows three cars. Uh, one's a Ferrari. Uh, one is a, a, you know, I think it's a, you know, midsize sedan, probably a Toyota or something. And, the, and the last one is like a, you know, a Ford Focus or a Kia something. Uh, and then we say, um, and we put copays under it. Each one. The Ferrari has a seventy-five dollar copay. Mm-hmm. The the you know midsize sedan fifty dollar copay, and the key is twenty-five. You say this is how benefits are set up today, and this is why you lose, right? Because if that was the cost structure, I would be paying like seventy-five dollars to get my Ferrari and never looking back. It's not until the yes. price in the middle is exposed that the plan is actually paying you know the hundred eighty thousand dollars minus seventy-five dollar copay, and that's what's killing them every year. Um, so. Uh, we get involved with, you know, helping to, you know, through consumerism, our tools, our plan designs and formularies to expose that cost, whether it's through reference-based pricing or other uh, programs that we have. So all of a sudden people go, oh, wow, gotcha. I can still get from point A to point B. I just need to fit it within my budget. Uh, so that's that's what we get involved with uh, quite a bit. And, and that's, you know, probably why it's really, really, really important uh, for for companies to understand when you're looking to do business, you're looking to save money, you're looking at what move you should make. Um, you have to factor in a lot of tangibles and intangibles um, and alignment. That's, that's key. Um, well, you, 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 I think it's a good analogy. And, you know, I think it, it touched on what happens, you know, a formulary. You're in a traditional, you know, formulary, we have different drug classes, However many drugs in a, in a specific therapeutic class, there's you know, usually going to be you know some pretty big pricing differentials for drugs that essentially do the same thing. And so when I think of that structure, I think of waste because employers you know could naturally be spending more money than they should when a high high cost drug, the Ferrari, is purchased, but a lower cost right. alternative in that therapeutic drug class that does the same thing is available. So. Right. So, so, so tell us a little bit more about how you address this notion of waste in a traditional, you know, formulary structure. Yeah, absolutely. And it, tie, it continues to tie back to the question you just asked. So we do a lot of myth busting at Orchestra RX. We, we go we go head to head with some of the, well, the largest PBMs that are out there and come out in a place where clients can save more. People will say, well, how is that even humanly possible, right? So, you know, I'll put it this way. Uh, if I am one of the largest PBMs, you know, we'll just call in, in the U.S., 
and I have glorious campuses made of glass and steel sprawled out over cities and employing, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of employees, uh, you know, business one-on-one would tell you that's a lot of overhead. How are you going to pay for it? <laughs> right? Uh, right. And, it, and you have to learn to justify how you pay for your overhead and, you know, flank the market. Um, however, if you were to go to someone like us that's smaller, nimbler, way less overhead, there should be some synergies there, right? That's where some of the cost savings can come up. So uh, another example I'll use, um, you'll see it a lot in the PBMs jockeying for position uh, on, you know, formulary management, what drugs are on the covered drug list on the formulary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most PBMs exclude certain drugs because they're looking for that competitive advantage on price uh, because the price is pretty flat. Uh, with a small delta of variability uh, based on what pharma will give out and what you know some retail uh, pharmacy chains and independents might give out by way of reimbursement structures. Uh, so that's why you might see one PBM say, we're excluding Harvoni. Uh, okay, well, what drug are you accepting, right? Uh, so they, they choose the other one and say, okay, that's what we're going with. We got a better deal on it. And the it ties back to the traditional transparent conversation. They may have gotten a better deal on the drug, but are they passing through all of that savings or value back to the client, right? First and foremost, for those companies that are publicly traded, um, you know, they have to serve the shareholders first. Customers are always second if you're publicly traded. Shareholders first, customers second. So if you got a better deal on a drug, uh, shareholders are going to demand, okay, how much of that do we get back to operational margin and profit? Um, sure. And then great. You know, now let's see if we can go, you know, maintain our base or grow it. Um, so that's that's a little bit about why we might be positioned a little different. One, we're we're uh, less overhead. Uh, another point, we leverage um, you know a data platform, data analytics platform that helps us optimize spend, utilization, um, relationships with retail uh, pharmacy chains. Uh, so we can kind of optimize where people are going, optimize savings for the employer group, but then, like you mentioned, optimizing towards a low-cost alternative, right? So that's something that we're very bullish on. Uh, pro reference-based pricing programs are uh, tool sets for mobile and uh, web uh, to the point that um, employers and other stakeholders have asked, hey, can we engage you on your solution side? Because they understand we work with anyone. Um, so that's, well, that's been a boom, boom to what we do as well as an overlay on top of um, you know, PBM arrangements today to create better alignment from a third party. So that's something else that we get involved with um, to a great de- degree as well. You know, you mentioned something, you know, optimizing, you know, optimizing the spend towards, you know, towards the lower cost, you know, ex- explain to our audience what that means and what, what are some of the tools that you're employing? Uh, so we, we did for one of our clients, um, an analysis where we look at, looked at their drug categories before they did business with us and after. Um, and what we found was prior to doing business with us, they had, um, by a drug category, right? So it can mm-hmm. be a hypertension, uh, di- diabetic um, medications, um, you name it. In, in specific categories, there could be cost variability of over you know, 3,000%. In some categories, it was 186%. Meaning you could, you could have one drug that could treat a condition that might be $50, um, mm-hmm. and then you could have a drug in the same category treating the exact same condition uh, that might cost you uh, 400 500 Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really no way, or the system's not designed uh, today uh, for consumers to readily understand that and then shop through that 
and you know more oftentimes than not hit that lower cost alternative. Uh, we all know of uh, generic mandates where it says, hey, if there's a brand drug and then there's a generic available, you have to take the generic. So that's something that's been around for a while. It kind of boosts the generic dispensing rate um, and it's highly successful programs. But what ends up happening is that, that question, what happens if there is no generic? Well, that's sure. where we come into play with our programs, algorithms, and logic. And we're mapping to uh, therapeutic equivalents and alternatives that might end up being a brand-to-brand switch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this might involve, you know, uh, reaching back out to the doctor, alerting them that, hey, a patient has some budgetary uh, constraints and they're trying to make sure they can be adherent and optimize their health. And we help with those conversations and our processes too. But at the end of the day, there's a universe of over 7,000 drug dose combinations that can be optimized. And what we found is on top of any PBM, you can easily squeeze out at minimum around a 10% additional savings if you optimize to a low cost uh, structure uh, through reference-based pricing and using our tools. Uh, Some of the tools we have is essentially like a, a mobile web-enabled tool where you it's specific to your plan, your formulary, your copay cost structures, where you type in your drug, and then it shows you drug dose, and it shows you your six, seven, eight, or three or four alternatives available and their cost where you can take action on it. So, Paul, real quick, you, you mentioned reference-based pricing. And so we've talked about reference-based pricing on this podcast in the context of, of um, you know, medical services for inpatient and outpatient. But how, how does that work in the context of prescription drugs? And let's just use the example that you gave. You know, there's a, you know, a drug class where you've got one drug that costs $50 and you've got another one that basically does the same thing and it costs $400. So explain to us in the context of that example how a reference-based pricing strategy would, would work. Yeah. So uh, if, I, if I understood the question correctly, um, how does that play itself out in the context of a benefits plan? Yeah. Yeah. How, how, does, it, how does it play out and, and how does it you know, play out from the, from the uh, point of view of the consumer? Yeah, you got it. Uh, so we, we've designed our programs specifically so it addresses you know, a lot of the fears, but yet opportunity too. So for, for uh, the way we implement it, we typically, before the, the go live activation date, um, we will send out at least two mailers to the, to the population. One announcing that this program is here mm-hmm. and we'll repair the marketing language with the company. So it might be uh, called the such and such consumer options program or mm-hmm. the pharmacy rewards program. Uh, and then once we do that, uh, we send that announcement letter out and it says, hey, in the next week or so, expect a specific letter to you that will show you your opportunities to save. So we follow that up with, you know, basically an analytic profile of that member in a letter that says, hey, we noticed in the last 90 days you've been taking the following drugs. Here are some alternatives and what you can save over the next year uh, if you switch, take this letter to your doctor. Uh, so they take that letter to the doctor or mail it or fax it. Um, they switch. We have a really high conversion rate uh, on switching. Uh, but that that accommodates, you know, the low-hanging fruit, the uh, a really good experience. But for those members that might sleep under a rock uh, and they're not, you know, they don't ever go to open enrollment meetings and lo and behold, they show up at a pharmacy um, and they're exposed to a larger cost. And they're like, well, why? I was always paying 50 bucks for this. Why is it now 
you know, $186. Um, um, there's alerts that we send to point of sale at the pharmacy. It says mm-hmm. low cost alternative available, call this number. We do override programs. So they can come into contact with that real price, if you will, that buy up price. Um, and then we can do override to let them have it at their old copay. But now they're alerted, informed, and we send out more messaging and engage them to say, here's the program going forward. Um, and they're able to shop through our tools and information and websites. Um, Got it. So, so just, just to be crystal clear, so in, in the simple example of the drug that's 50 and then there's another alternative that's 400, reference-based pricing strategy is simply this. The plan will not re- reimburse anything more than $50 for you know the the drug the selected drug in that category and anything above that you know even if there's a copay structure you know the consumer would have to pay the difference correct absolutely so it's much okay. like the mandatory generic program so mandatory generics would say um hey you have to get the generic and if there is a brand and you want it never yeah. pays the difference we yeah. do the exact same logic on the therapeutic alternatives as well. Great. No, I, I think that's a. I think it's a great strategy to target waste in a given formulary. I mean, when there's there's therapeutic alternatives that you know can address the condition, and and obviously there may be you know scenarios that that warrant you know exceptions. But I think it's a great strategy to to target waste. Uh, I I did have a question for you in in some of our previous conversations. You know, we had we had talked about a unique program that you guys have as it relates to rebates. Um, and in general, you know, rebates from drug manufacturers, you know, when, when they're set up with a self-insured employer, you know, they're going to go back to the employer, but generally those savings, you know, are, are realized by the employer and not the employee. Employees don't benefit from it. You mentioned that you guys have a mechanism that facilitates sharing a portion of the rebate with the employee at point of sale. So can you describe that for our audience and how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a it's an accounting mechanism, um, and it's it's something that we've we've created that gives more visibility on um, both the rebate from administrator's perspective um, and a way to put that money back into action. And we call it the rebate bank. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's an accounting mechanism. So uh, if we're holding on to rebate uh, contracts and able to flow those through claim reimbursements, uh, it's really a matter of cash flow. So for those that are fine getting a check after the end of a quarter, standard fare for today's market, that's fantastic. For those that, are, that want more cash flow, they want to experience those rebates uh, on a real-time basis per transaction, um, mm-hmm. we basically chop those rebates um, that are um, uh, allocated back out to the members or, or the plan back at the point of sale. And for those that want to use those funds a little differently, uh, we can even bifurcate those amounts. So I'm going to use a round number. If it's yep. $100 in rebate coming back for one drug at a point of sale transaction, uh, the, the plant sponsor might opt to say, we want 50 of those dollars to apply at point of sale. The other 50 to just come back to us by form of a check. Mm-hmm. Or we want to use our rebate dollars in something that we have called um, our, our CDRX account, consumer-driven pharmacy accounts. They act like a member copay bank. So maybe mm-hmm. they want to stand up a a diabetes management program um, where they're incentivizing people by giving them low or no cost copays on diabetic medications for participation that can be allocated into that uh, pharmacy account that the member can access and use uh, when they get their prescriptions at point of sale. So we do some really innovative things with with one, the rebates, the accounting structure, 
just to create some different options in the market uh, and give employers and plans more levers than, they, than they're used to having uh, to manage costs. Yeah, I think I think that's great. I mean, I think um, you know being able to. And, and obviously, it's it's going to depend on what type of plan an employer's on, whether it's a consumer-driven plan with you know high deductible. Um, you know, I think something like that's going to be pretty appealing. You know, to you know to an employer or an employee. You know, uh, having the ability to offset you know some of the costs. Uh, you know, through through sharing some of the rebates. We haven't talked about fees yet. So so what is what is the fee structure for Orchestra RX? Do you guys ever provide any performance guarantees around lowering net drug cost on a on a per employee per month basis? Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're primarily in the game of uh, admin fees as our form of revenue, mm-hmm. um, and we get creative with the admin fees. So some like a global admin fee. So mm-hmm. it's all inclusive, all in for prior auths and ID card replacements and um, the, the variety of things that you can get charged for. Um, and others like uh, an admin fee with call-outs specifically for prior auth administration, um, ID card replacements, uh, and some of the other things that might go along with it. Um, we do have some clients who really like having, uh, a, we'll call it a more aligned benefits partner in the game. Yeah. And um, uh, that's what we'll do. There's some elements of a, of a shared savings construct that's pretty intelligent, uh, where at least in the first year, it gets them over the, the hurdle of being comfortable with a, a new player, if you will. Um, and it kind of has the onus on us to create and provide that value. Um, and more oftentimes, not, it's pretty overwhelming in terms of what those numbers end up looking like. And then we'll kick it in second year as a trigger to move it back into a PEPM. So uh, we just try to make people comfortable. Uh, we're all about working hard and making sure people understand we're working hard uh, yeah. so they can you know, benefit the value downstream. Well, I'll tell you what, I think you're probably the first uh, vendor in this space that I've heard talk about a shared savings approach. Um, and that truly is the ultimate uh, alignment of incentives. So that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool. Sure. Uh, sure. So if, if um, you know, you have people listening to this and, and um, in your mind, who, who do you think is a good fit for Orchestra RX? And are there any employers out there that, that, you know, aren't a good fit, you know, any size, um, you know, um, employer size limitations? Yeah, I, I think um, the best and most natural fit is um, it would probably be employers and plans that are comfortable using a TPA instead of a BUCA, right? They're kind of seen through the charade uh, or they like the nimbleness and the higher touch of customer service and customized uh, solutions that can be offered through TPA. That's the same mindset of the type of clients we work with mm-hmm. that we have, uh, you know, mutual respect for, we get it, we move forward, there's no hurdles. Uh, great fit. Second would be those that are focused uh, on consumerism, right? Um, because in that same milk would be those that also are trying to figure out how do we get people to be healthier, accountable, all that stuff. Great fit because we bring to the table all, if you will, some people have said it's almost like you're running a PBM on the chassis of uh, almost being like a, a type A pharmacy wellness company, right? Uh, meaning we're obsessed with pharmacy. We're obsessed with moving the needle there on cost, shoppability, outcomes. Um, another feature and caveat to how we do business with our clients, we tell them at open at a, a implementation uh, to we'll, we'll accept their medical claims file as well, right? For the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. So we can triage and identify 
people that, that aren't even on drugs that are about to be through our algorithms. It starts to leave a message to them. Hey, did you know that these alternatives are available if you ever need them? <laughs> right? Um, and kind of preempt a lot in Amazon. Uh, but those tend to be the great fits for people we like to work with. Uh, we speak the same language, have the same mindset. Those that are not a good fit would probably be, um, quite honestly, uh, organizations that have uh, tons of, we'll call it, procurement process and structure, because ultimately a procurement process structure is very regimented, uh, lots of process involved. It's all basically aligned towards the processes of the big PBMs as well. So they're not going to highlight and showcase uh, the features of a transparent model and get it versus the traditional model. Uh, it gets lost in translation when it's just shown on a spreadsheet with some, you know, uh, procure- procurement questionnaires that are really more fitting of a traditional uh, PBM. So that's where there's a little bit of a, I'm not sure you'll get it the first time around. It might take two or three times around before you, you say, you know what, maybe we need to ask different questions to ferret out the value and get comfortable with it. Uh, but that, that's pretty much how we, how we operate in the market today. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll validate what you just say. You know, like we, we, we just don't recommend, you know, when people are doing PBM analysis, you either decide you're working traditional or you're going to transparent pass-through. And trying to compare the two is comparing apples to oranges. And there's, there's, there's no point because you're right. You can't compare it on the spreadsheet because inevitably one is going to look much better on a spreadsheet and it's not really connected to the actual results that an employer would achieve. So we, we never recommend that, uh, an employer look at apples and oranges. They need to decide upfront from a philosophical standpoint, you know, which, which model is going to be better for them. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. What are you most excited about right now in your business? Is there, are there any improvements or enhancements uh, to the product or service that, that uh, are, are in the works for the future? Yeah, we're, we're uh, again, doubling, tripling down on consumerism. Um, so we have a, a portfolio of solutions um, that, that are going to be released here um, in the next quarter that really can, it's a evolving of aligning consumerism um, and CDH plans with pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, maybe not a widely known fact, um, but you know, upwards of 60, 70% of CDH transactions are pharmacy based. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you'll be hard pressed to find any CDH administrator that will talk to you about pharmacy. So we've, we've been finding some, some great alignment there. We have some solutions that are coming out. Um, and we're just super excited about um, continuing to just, you know, really bust up the notion of a PBM and how a PBM works for you uh, and creating the solutions and services that can be um, engaged regardless of what PBM you do end up using. Um, so uh, we've been known to work pretty friendly with most PBMs that are willing to play ball with us um, so that they're still winning, the client's winning, uh, members are definitely winning. Uh, and then we're we're doing our 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 part to kind of grow our business and uh, just create some value in the marketplace. Very good, very good. So, Paul, if there was one question that I should have asked you but I didn't, what would it be? Wow, um, it would probably be you know how important is the auditability or the contract review? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we have some great friends, partners, colleagues in the business, um, and the best where their clients are extremely happy uh, are the ones that will say, we will take the time to literally take out the contract, 
highlight the areas that make no sense and then show you how we can improve them. Uh, that's ultimately your backstop behind you know your fiduciary responsibility uh, from a compliance standpoint uh, and even budgeting in the CFO what monies have to go out of the door uh, how those are accounted for uh, so I would just say that part is extremely valuable and there's increasingly more that are aware of that but there's a rare breed that take that on as a service and a core service of that uh, so that their their clients know that they have their back uh, but, but that that's probably it Got it. Well, so for people who are interested in Orchestra RX, um, you know, other than than working through their broker consultant, you know, how can they learn more about your organization? You know what? We uh, you can always email us at hello at orchestrarx.com. You can go to orchestrarx.com uh, as well, our website, uh, and reach out to us that way. Um, we stay pretty active on uh, LinkedIn as well. Um, and that's a pretty decent way to keep pulse on what we have going on and latest and greatest updates as well. Great. Well, hey, Paul, this has been uh, a great discussion. Uh, on behalf of our listeners, I, I want to thank you for taking time out of your, your busy schedule to join us. You know, to our listeners, we, we hope you enjoyed this episode of, of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Orchestra Rx's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content and interviews we're bringing to you on the show. Please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher and let us know what you think. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.